0: This is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? But wait, there's more. We've all heard that pitch. It's been a motto of infomercial hosts for a long time. It's most often associated with Billy Mays, the peddler of OxyClean. Uh, But it was the fine folks over at Ginsu Knives who first used it in their commercials back in the 1970s. One media scholar, did you know that you could be a media scholar? (laughs) One media scholar from some university called it the pitch of all pitches. I think he might be right about that. Paul was no infomercial salesman, thank goodness, but he was overflowing with joy and enthusiasm as he opened his letter to the Ephesians and told them about the blessings of salvation. That's what we've been covering in our last few studies Uh, particularly in the opening of this letter. In verses three through 14 of chapter one, we see he delivered a song in one long sentence, expounding the riches of God's grace. He pauses for a breath after his song comes to a close in verse 14, and then pours out another single sentence, stretching from verse 15 all the way through 23 in the Greek. This time it's not a song, but it is a prayer. Uh, it's a special thing to be able to examine the prayer life of an apostle. Uh, on the one hand, they were people like us. They had struggles and shortcomings, and uh, you know, they weren't uh, magical. Uh, they, they were believers like we are. God didn't love them more than he loves us. But on the other hand, they obviously had a depth of faith and experience and relationship with the Lord that we aspire to in our own spiritual lives, Paul said to the Corinthians, not in uh, boasting, he was a very humble man, but he at one point said to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? So getting a glimpse into his prayer life is a valuable thing for us as we seek to be people who pray effectively and have a greater and growing depth of relationship with our Lord. In his prayer, we see once again that Paul was absolutely convinced That the more Christians understand about what the Lord has done for them, the more they will be able to thrive and grow and experience the benefits of salvation. After a long explanation of the mind blowing, you know, predestined advantages of life in Christ in the previous verses, he says, But wait, there's more. And he keeps detailing the blessings for us. And he's going to keep doing so throughout the epistle. But he continues, beginning in verse 15. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Uh, Reading this verse, critics love to critic. And so there are those who suggest that Paul was not the real author of Ephesians. And they uh, use this verse as one of their reasonings. They say, Well, Paul spent years in the city of Ephesus, we see that in Acts 19, and uh, he says here, I've heard about your faith, he should have said, I know you, I know your faith, he doesn't have any personal greetings to individuals in this letter, and so uh, people who want to be critical say, there you go, it wasn't written by Paul, it was written by somebody else. And I think we've covered this in a previous uh, study, there's no reason to think that Paul didn't write this letter, of course he did. Uh, but the truth is, you know, okay, well, why does he seem a little bit distant in comparison to some of his other letters uh, where he will mention people by name? Well, he, it's been five or seven or eight years since he's been in the city of Ephesus, and yes, he was there for the first three years, uh, but the truth is many people had been saved since then, and it's uh, probable that he didn't know most of the church members at this point. Uh, But even though he hadn't met them personally, or at least some of them, he had heard the testimony of their faith and their love. And that's pretty remarkable for a world without phones or newspapers or social media or television or radio or telegrams or blogs or anything else uh, that helps news travel, right? We get news fast, and most of it isn't true. Uh, Paul, (laughs) Paul somehow got news, and it was true. And why is that? It's because God was moving the witness of his good news all over the world because that's what he loves to do. And he said that as he you know, gave the great commission to uh, the believers thereafter after his resurrection, he says, hey, you're gonna go throughout the world and I want you to, to make disciples and tell people about me. And then we see in the beginning of Acts, he says, yeah, I wanna send you to Judea and Samaria and all over the world. He, he loves to move the witness of, of his gospel um, throughout all kinds of communities and that's exactly what he was doing. God wants to build a testimony in your life and then broadcast the news of his grace and his power and his goodness through your life. Now, that doesn't mean that every Christian is going to be an influencer. I throw up in my mouth a little bit just saying that. Uh, I, earlier, I'll give you a... I'll give you an, uh, I, uh, my first draft, I said, God doesn't you know, necessarily, doesn't mean every Christian is going to be prominent. And I thought, you know what? The kids today use the term influencer. And, uh, and so that doesn't mean God wants every Christian to be an influencer or it doesn't mean every Christian is going to preach to thousands of people uh, or have books written about their lives or that that's the only real way to give a witness or have a real testimony of what God has done. That's, that's not the case at all. God wants you and I, he says, to be witnesses. Uh, and the word that Jesus used in Acts 1 verse 8 is actually the word martyrs. He says that you're going to be my martyrs in the world going here, there, and everywhere because your lives are laid down for my purpose and for my glory, and through your life, people are going to see the light of the gospel and the power of the gospel and the grace of God and the truth revealed through Jesus Christ and the love of God shed abroad in our hearts and all of these other things where the Lord says, okay, and now you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are my body on the earth. And through your life, I am going to demonstrate who I am, what I've done, what I've said, and what I'm planning, uh, wherever you find yourself. And of course, the Bible says then that the Lord has scattered us into the time and place we find ourselves in so that we can be lights in the dark. And so God is about building something in your life. He's building a testimony in your life. And maybe that testimony is going to have um, the reach from you know uh, y- y- the front room to your kid's room or maybe to your neighbor's or whatever. But that, that, that doesn't matter even a little bit, right? What matters is that we are just walking with God and allowing Him to use us as He sees fit. And the way that He uses our testimony is His business. Now, here's what's important. So so Paul says, man, I've heard about your faith. Word is traveling um, not about what they were doing, but the fact that God was working in their midst and, and that um, the, the gospel was operating through this community of people in a, in a really remarkable way. But here's what's important. The Ephesians weren't running ad campaigns, right? Uh, they didn't go viral uh, in the Roman world for some event or for some stunt. Now, I'm not against a Christian organization doing an ad campaign necessarily. Back uh, whenever the Super Bowl was, I don't follow football, February. Let's go with February. Back in February, I remember there was a lot of murmuring for a while because there was those um, dramatic ads from the He Gets Us campaign and it was the focus of them was Jesus. I don't know anything about He Gets Us or whatever, but people were talking about that, right? So it's not necessarily wrong for a Christian or a church or an organization to, um, to run an ad campaign. But the Ephesians weren't doing that, right? They weren't, um, they didn't open up a, a, a publishing house to, to get out a bunch of material. I mean, they were just regular people, regular Christians living regular Christian lives. But the regular Christian life was one full of faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. And Paul says, man, I'm, I'm hearing it. Because the Holy Spirit is is taking the testimony of of what he's doing in your life, and he's spreading it around. And we know that Paul would ask after the churches, too, that he was involved with and had founded, And so he said, I heard about it. Your regular lives, full of faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. The term that Paul used for faith is defined by words like constancy and profession, reliance upon Christ, belief, fidelity, conviction. All of these things uh, uh, help describe the faith that we have in Jesus. And it's important that we notice here, Paul's being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's careful with his words. Their faith was in the Lord Jesus, right? Their faith wasn't in Paul, right? Uh, It wasn't that... We had this celebrity preacher come and found our church, and so whatever he says, we do, and whatever he does, we copy, and those sorts of things. They said, man, our faith is in the Lord Jesus. It was in the God-man. He was not only the real, historic, actual Jesus who really lived and really spoke and really did the things the Bible records for us, but we see here he's also the Lord, right? The Lord of all lords, the King of all kings. This Jesus is the ruler of the cosmos and the Lord over our lives. He is the head. He is the decider. He is the master and the commander. And the Ephesians were recognizing that in their faith. They're like, it is the Lord Jesus, the one that has been presented to us through the preaching of the gospel uh, by, and, and presented by uh, the word of God as much as they had of it. They certainly didn't have as much as we do, but they said, man, the Lord Jesus, that's who our faith is in. And Paul also heard about their love for all the saints. Now, in this case, Paul was not referencing the brotherly love of Philadelphia. Many of you are familiar with the fact that uh, New Testament Greek has a variety of terms for love, different kinds of loves, and there's nothing wrong with brotherly love, Um, but this is not the term he's using. He's talking about the agape love. He says, I've heard about your agape for all the saints. Now, agape love... Uh, You can't have if you're not a Christian. Agape love is God's love. It is a supernatural love. It is the love that God pours out into the hearts of Christians through the Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 5. As one commentator points out, agape love is one you have to choose to express. Listen to this quote. He says, it is a thoughtful, volitional, purposeful love that wills to love even the unlovely. Uh, And so agape love, which they were demonstrating and was operating in their lives, it doesn't happen by accident, it happens by choice. You can become friends with someone, especially when you, remember when you were a kid, you can become friends with someone effectively by accident, right? Just by spending a certain amount of time with a person, as long as something really bad doesn't happen, you become friends. It's almost, it's very natural, it's accidental almost in some cases, not every time. But agape love is not like that. God says, okay, you're a Christian, and part of you being a Christian, part of being saved is that I pour out or shed my love into your heart, the book of Romans says, and now you have agape love, and that agape love can operate in your life and through your actions and your words and your thoughts, or you can resist the work of the Holy Spirit in the way that you choose to relate to others or the way that you choose to operate in the world, And so agape love, working in our lives, as far as it it works sort of horizontally, right, from you to other people, you have to choose to participate in that as a choice of the will, a choice of your volition, saying that I am going to do the thing that God has called me to do, even if people are unlovely. Um, Christians sometimes have a hard time, right, Uh, loving others, We live in a very unloving culture, a very unloving time. Our culture right now is completely dominated by the idea that you need to draw very hard lines, decide who's not on your side, and then not just not associate with those people, you need to hate those people. In many cases, you need to violently oppose those people, right? This is happening... Uh, f- from all sorts of sides and all sorts of situations in our culture, in our politics, in our entertainment. It's all about hating the other person. Um, and, and that's not what the Christian life is about. It is hard to love unlovely people or just sometimes hard to love as, the way, uh, as God loves us. But listen, even in the book of Acts, let's get real. Uh, they didn't always have a real easy time with this either. Um, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem often struggled to love the Gentile believers, or frankly, even other Jewish believers who were Hellenist in culture, right? You get to that part um, there in the book of Acts, and they come to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and they say, we've got a problem. We're feeding widows. They won't feed our widows because we're Greek in culture, and it was a whole thing. And the whole book of Acts, right, there's this undercurrent of Do we really want to include the Gentiles into the church? And a bunch of people are like, yes, obviously the Lord is including the Gentiles in the church. And and for a long time, there's a bunch of holdouts who say, "Eh, do we really want to do that? You know, they are Gentiles after all. We don't really, they're unlovely to us. And so uh, we struggle with loving those who are unlovely to us for one reason or another. But we need to remember that we are, uh, to God, you know, to a perfect God, there's nobody more unlovely than us, right? And God says, yeah, but I love you anyway. I loved you first. I loved you way before you loved me. Uh, I, I, even though you, you, you know, uh, are covered and dead in your trespasses and sins, like I, I love you. I want to restore you. I want to bring you to myself and make beauty from the ashes of who you are. And God has then calls us to love all the saints. And that doesn't mean we celebrate everything that everybody does. That doesn't mean that we don't call things out that are unbiblical. I think you guys know that, but we are called to love all the saints. Doctors recommend that you get blood work done uh, once a year, right, to check a variety of different levels, just see how things are going on the inside. In a similar way, taking time, to personally evaluate things like our faith in the Lord Jesus or our love for the saints is an important measurement to take from time to time. Uh, Just kind of of plumb the depths and see what's going on in our hearts. Uh, Because to Paul, these things, these two things, were sort of uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones calls them the acid tests of basic Christianity. Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus and, and do you have love for the saints? And and we learn through the Bible, the reason that we want to evaluate these things and examine them and, and maintain them and, and make sure that levels are, are sort of working in our spiritual lives is because, you know, our love for others, as an example, is connected to our love for God. John would later write in one of his epistles, the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. Right, so these things are connected and, and more than that, we even have a, a sad but a profound object lesson from this church. Because a number of years after they received this letter from Paul, the church at Ephesus would receive another letter, this time from Jesus Christ himself. And what did he say? He said, you know what, your faith in the Lord Jesus is doing really well. I mean, he has a great commendation for them at the beginning. He says, I know your works and your labor and your endurance that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You have found them to be liars. I know you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. Wow. That's the kind of report card I can get behind. And of course, but what do we remember about that letter? We remember the next thing. But this I have against you. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. So, I mean, that's a, a, a huge object lesson for us. Paul says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. I've heard about your love for all the saints. Wow, I'm excited about it. And then you fast forward a decade or two, and it's like, hey, you guys, you don't love anymore. You're doing a lot of faith stuff. You're doing a lot of works. You're doing a lot of good things that that are important, uh, but this other thing has died in your lives you paul or jesus said you abandoned it you left your first love a christian and a church needs both faith in the lord jesus and love for all the saints faith and love right today we can look out in the wider christian culture and we can say there's a bunch of churches who have faith and no love and there's a bunch of churches who have love but no content to their faith we're called to both of those things, a growing faith in the Lord Jesus and a growing love for all the saints. Our tendency might be then to say, okay, well then I have to force myself to love others, fake it till you make it, right? Uh, or I have to generate acts of faith, prove to God that I'm, I'm full of faith. That's not the biblical way of thinking about these things. We know that faith and love are gifts that God pours out in our lives. It's, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. It's his love shed abroad in our hearts, right? So, Our calling as Christians is to understand. This is what Paul is all about in this letter. He's like, I want you to understand what God has done for you, what he has provided for you, what he has sent to you. And so our calling as Christians is to receive the gifts and the power of God and allow them to operate as the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts and does the stuff that he's doing, and then to cooperate and continually cultivate these things in our lives using God's grace as our power and our fuel, not our own sort of you know, gritting our teeth and doing what we don't want to do, loving, unlovely people. Does that make sense? I think so. Uh, verse 16 says, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Man, what an encouragement that must have been. Uh, Paul not only heard about them, he made mention of them as he prayed to God. Not just once, but on a regular basis. I, man, it must have been a mind-blowing thing. Uh, they knew Paul, some of them, a lot of them didn't, but he says, I pray about you. I thank God for you. When I spend time with God, me and him, I talk to him about you. Now, what an amazing thing. What a a comfort and what an encouragement that must have been. Because there's a lot of stuff that Paul could have spent his time praying about. Paul's a busy guy. I don't know how he packed in all this stuff. He's making tents. He's, you know, draining ooze off of his fresh wounds that he has all the time. Uh, he's got his eyes are coming out, you know. Uh, he's walking mile after mile. He's shipwrecked. He's writing letters. He's preaching. He's going out into the city square. He's praying. Uh, he's having visions of Jesus from time to time. Like he's packing all of this stuff in. He says, Man, I pray. I pray a lot. And I pray about you and I'm thankful for you. And there's a lot that he could have been praying about. Uh, remember, by this time, he had already written the, the second letter that he wrote to the, second, uh, to the Corinthians where he said, oh, yeah, one time I died and I went to heaven and I saw a vision of the third heaven and, you know. So I just think about this. Like, if I have been to heaven and walked the, you know, the streets of gold and if I had seen Jesus face to face and if I was Paul the apostle, I'm not sure I remember to pray for the Ephesians. <laughs> like, I'll be honest, Right. Uh, some people you talk to, you talked to some people seven years ago for a while, I mean, he stayed with them for a long time, but some of the churches that he prayed for, he was only there for a couple of weeks. And he's like, man, I pray for them and I, man, Lord, I just want, I want them to be built up. And so um, what a great generosity he had in his prayer life. Um, not praying, hey, Lord. Maybe I, maybe I don't get scourged in this city. That would be awesome, right? Hey, Lord, be, it would be great if the ship could make it this time. I don't have to be shipwrecked like a fourth time. He's like, oh, I want to pray about the Ephesians. Uh, he had a genuine care for these churches he was involved with. He cared about their spiritual health. He was excited to hear that they were growing in their faith. The, their spiritual success was something to celebrate in his mind because he understood that we're all one body right so again we're americans we're very individualistic we're very competitive by culture and by nature not everybody to the same degree but we we're just sort of programmed to think it's me versus everybody, or it's us doing something. It's the space race. Who's going to get to the moon first, and, and who's going to build something bigger, and who's going to be more important, and who's going to have more views? And, and this is ingrained into our culture, uh, and we have, to, we have to sweep that aside when we come to the church body, right? And when we come into a ministry mindset, Paul said, man, like, what's good for you guys is good for the whole body because we are one body. He wasn't jealous that people were talking about the Ephesians instead of talking about him, right? He wasn't saying, when they said, hey, man, did you hear that the church in Ephesus, he didn't say, well, they'd be nothing without me. I am the church in Ephesus, right? He's not doing any of that. Instead, he's like, I want to thank God that these people, these Gentile uh, believers who were freaked out pagans five minutes ago are like full of agape love and full of faith in the Lord Jesus. On top of that, we see he practiced what he preached. In chapter six, Paul will command these people and us to pray at all times in the spirit and for all the saints. And he'll say, hey, pray for me also, right? So he commands them to do that, but he, but he does what he's commanding them to do. He didn't tell them to do something that he wasn't willing to do. And he's a true example of humble, powerful, Exercised Christianity for us. Verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and in the knowledge of Him. Okay, well, hadn't they already received the Holy Spirit? What's up with that? Uh, Paul was very clear up in verses 13 and 14 of this chapter that they already were sealed with the Holy Spirit, He was the down payment of His inheritance. Of course, back in Acts 19, when Paul had first come to the city of Ephesus, he met with some disciples who were told, and he said, Hey, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, Never heard of him. What are you talking about? And he says, Oh, yeah, I mean, let me tell you about it. And he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit came down. So, what is Paul saying here? Do I have to receive him again? What's happening? Scholars debate whether Paul meant the Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S in this verse, or spirit with a small s, speaking of the attitude or the tilt of the heart. Um, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's lacking an article. And so people debate. In general, they believe he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, Um Either way, he's not saying that they have to keep receiving the Holy Spirit over and over again. That's not the case. But what Paul's writings reveal, including the book of Ephesians, is that our relationship to God is always meant to be deepening, always developing, always growing in our understanding of who he is and what he has called us to. That we're always receiving more understanding, more knowledge, more growth in our relationship and in our connection to the Lord through the Holy Spirit, right? It's through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to guide you in all wisdom. He is your helper. It's a good thing that I'm leaving because the paraclete, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to dwell your hearts and it's going to be great. And he's going to operate all of these things in and through your life. And so Paul is saying, man, I, I, just, I pray that that operation, that relationship is always developing and deepening and growing more and more. Paul prays that God the Father would give them more wisdom, more revelation, so they could have a greater knowledge of the Lord. R. Kent Hughes writes, the regular Greek word for personal knowing is gnosis, but here the word is intensified with the preposition epi. Paul is asking for a real, deep, full knowledge. Hughes continues, the great need of any church, whether it is healthy or not, is knowing Christ, a better, deeper, fuller knowledge of Christ. And Paul would say, yes, absolutely, that is 100% true, and we know that's true, We know that Paul wanted this not only for the Ephesians and for us by extension, he wanted it for himself. Listen to this remarkable statement from Philippians chapter three. Here's Paul speaking. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of the goal of knowing God, of knowing Jesus, because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus, right? So he wasn't saying, well, I haven't discovered God. I haven't found the truth. I'm trying to get to salvation. He says, no, I haven't. Christ Jesus has a hold on me. But man, my goal is to know God more and more, and I have not attained it yet. Man, Uh, head exploding emoji, you know, because who's talking? It's Paul. Paul who saw Jesus face-to-face multiple times, Paul, who wrote over a dozen books of the New Testament, Paul, who had seen a vision of heaven itself, that Paul said, my goal is to know God more and I do not consider myself to have attained the goal yet. And so I press on toward the goal. The apostle prayed that God the Father would give the Ephesians more knowledge and more wisdom. The knowledge God is talk- uh, the knowledge of God that Paul is talking about must come from God himself, okay? That's where knowledge of God comes from, from God, which is why he's given us the Bible. I saw a YouTube video the other day uh, from a very popular social commentator and philosopher. He has millions of followers on YouTube. He was talking about his understanding of the Ten Commandments, right? And He said this, this is how he opened. He said, how I like to look at it is, and I thought this, buckle up, this is going to be so much fun. And he went on to say that, you know, the real point of the Ten Commandments is that each person must simply find their God, whatever it is, Uh, because if you don't find your God, whatever it is, then you will worship all God's. And that's why the the Ten Commandments says, have no other God before me. Find your God, because if you don't find your God, then then you're going to worship every God, and you will slip into vice and into greed and into aimlessness, right? And millions of people are watching him say this, so like and subscribe, right? That's what they're doing. And so, of course, he's completely wrong. He's not a believer. He's not a Christian. His understanding of God comes from himself. Right? He's made God in his own image, and wouldn't you know it, I get to pick my own God. How convenient for you. I hope your God is a benevolent one. <laughs> and so he's completely wrong because God, knowledge of God has to come from God because he's outside of time and space, and he's God. And that's why God has gone to so much trouble to reveal himself in the, in the Bible, That's why he has delivered it so that you can have it, so that you can actually know who he is, know what he's said, know what he's done, know what he's planning, know who you are, and have a relationship with him. And so he wants us to know him deeply and personally and accurately, and so Paul says, I hope you grow in your knowledge of God, which comes from God. John Phillips writes, get to know God is Paul's basic answer to all of life's problems and perplexities. Getting to know God is a lifelong pursuit for every Christian. It was for Paul. It's not just that, well, I know enough to be saved. Or, okay, I memorized the entire Bible. I know everything about God, right? Even if you did memorize everything in the Bible, which you haven't, and I haven't, Even if you did, there's still more to know of the God who made you and saved you and loves you, just as there is always more you could learn about your spouse or your parents or your kids or your best friend. Why? Because God is a person. And uh, knowing a person doesn't boil down to just facts about that person. Now, on a practical level, how can I know more? How can I know God more? How is that possible? How can I receive more of this wisdom and knowledge and revelation that Paul is talking about? Well, listen to 1 Corinthians 2. God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so it is... Uh, cooperation and fellowship with the Holy Spirit that reveals these things to us, where we are able to lay hold of these incredible benefits that God wants to supply to us through his salvation. We fellowship with the Spirit by going to Scripture, which he has inspired and he guides us into. He guides us into that truth. And we also fellowship with the Holy Spirit as we would with a friend because he is our friend and he is indwelling our hearts and he is a person just as Jesus and the Father are. There are clear principles in Scripture that show how to get the wisdom of God that he wants to give. Seek it, ask for it, regularly consider the word that you've already received, right? good example of that is Daniel in his book. We're told that he was reading what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. I'm sure he had read it many, many times before. He probably actually did have it memorized because those guys memorize big sections of Scripture, And we're told that as he considered it one day and prayed and fellowshiped with the Lord, he said, I understood the word of the Lord. It's not because it was the first time he read it, it's because he had a harvest of wisdom. And he was like, oh, 70 years and this captivity is gonna be over, wow. And so there's, there's great instruction on how we fellowship with the Holy Spirit and receive the wisdom and knowledge that God wants us to have. Let's remind ourselves here that Paul's prayer in this chapter, was not for a certain special class of Christians. It was for all of them, every last one of them. Paul is referencing all of these incredible things as part of the regular, ordinary Christian life. He expected this to be the reality for all believers in Ephesus and elsewhere. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So this is where the but wait, there's more really kicks in again. Paul references hope, wealth, power sent by God for us who believe. We have a living hope that secures our future and gives us all the orientation we need to direct our lives. As we head forward in that hope, God acts powerfully on our behalf in describing the enormous might and power of God Paul, I'm told, uses four different Greek synonyms to just stack up the image of God's might and how he sends out that power for us. There is no foe, there is no trial, there is no hurt, there is no fear, there is no problem, there is no shortcoming, there is no obstacle that God's power cannot overwhelm on behalf of his people because God's power surpasses everything. And the Lord says, that power is activated on your behalf because I love you and I want you to grow and I want you to develop and I want to accomplish my work through your life. Did you notice that Paul lumped the Ephesians in with himself, his power toward us who believe? He says, you know what, you Ephesians, you Hanfordians and the morons, you... (laughs) And wherever else we're from here tonight... You guys are in the same boat as me with the apostles. You and I here tonight are objects of God's tender care and powerful work. These things that were true of them are true of us too. What was true in the book of Acts is true for us today. Now, we skip the second item in Paul's list here, his but wait, there's more list. When Paul talks about the wealth of the glorious inheritance, he's not talking about our inheritance in heaven like he did earlier in the chapter. He's talking about the fact that we are the Lord's inheritance. Paul is revealing the matchless value that God places on you as his special possession. Before the foundation of the world, God made a plan so that you could have hope and the power necessary with peace and joy and purpose in the eternal work of God your Father. You are the special treasure that he holds in his hand and focus his attention on You are the thing that God has set aside for himself to bring him glory and to enjoy his love and to give love back to him. He has made a place in eternity for you on purpose. He has opened up the storehouses of heaven on your behalf on purpose. He has carved out of time and space an individualized life so that you might know him and know his love and know his power working in and through you as you walk with him along the path that he's carved out for you. You, not just us generally, but you specifically, God has done these things for. Then Lord, if this is meant to be the regular everyday life of a Christian, okay, then why don't I feel it or experience these things as plainly as we want to? Why doesn't my experience feel like the book of Acts? It's a fair question to ask. But let's remember, even Paul himself said, hey, listen, I live to know God and his power, and I haven't fully attained it yet. And so I reach forward pursuing that prize. And he went on to say, let all who are mature think this way in the book of Philippians. Now, right now, it's true. We only know in part. One day we'll know fully. Right now, we see it as in a reflection in the mirror, but one day face-to-face with the Lord who loves us But meanwhile, Paul says, okay, the answer to experiencing more of the power of God and the fellowship of God is to know what God has done for you. He says, this is what I pray for you. Not that you accomplish more things, but that you grow in your knowledge of, of what God has done on your behalf. And as we walk with God, we discover more and more of who he is and what he's done and As these truths take root in our hearts, our faith grows and our faith produces love. Paul told the Ephesians, that's what's happening in your lives and I'm so excited about it and I pray that it keeps happening more and more. And Now let me talk to you more about how this Christian life works in a nuts and bolts sense in the rest of the letter. He didn't talk to them about doing more events or hitting certain quotas. He didn't talk to them about metrics of influence or anything like that. In this prayer, he congratulated his readers for displaying precisely the quality that he will urge them later in the letter to cultivate in the Lord's power. He said that these things are true now. They are true. It is, he says. And so understand more of that truth, he says, and cooperate with God in his desire to expand your experience of your salvation. And toward that end, Paul was excited because these young Christians in Ephesus were walking in faith. They were living in love, Elsewhere, Paul would say to the Galatians, in Christ Jesus, what matters is faith working through love. Galatians 5.6. But we know that at some point, the Ephesians stopped experiencing a significant aspect of their Christianity. They left their first love. They abandoned it. The blessings of the Christian faith have been given, but they're not a given in our lives, right? We talk about things, that's a given. The blessings and power of God in our experience are not a given if we don't cooperate with him, if we don't receive them, if we don't say, yes, Lord, I believe. And so now I orient my life toward you and toward where you're leading me to go so that I can experience all and and enjoy all that you want to give. And so if we don't actively walk in our salvation, then we're going to miss out on the experience that God wants us to enjoy. So the way forward is to know God, to pursue Him, and along the way, enjoy more and more of the salvation that He has provided because we can wait day by day. There's always more. The Lord always gives more of Himself because His love is boundless, His power is limitless, His grace, uh, it doesn't come to an end. And so as we live out these lives We want to experience more of what the Lord has provided for us and the way forward is to know our God and walk with him.